Donkey. And Goose, man. Oh, I love Goose from, uh, from Top Gun. Those are good things. Well, this morning we are going to look at a sidekick that was the wise one in the relationship as we dig into God's word. And so I invite you to grab your Bibles uh, or open up your version app and turn to 1 Samuel 25, where we're going to be camping out today. And if you don't have a Bible, feel free right now. You can uh, head to the back and on the table back there, there are brown uh, covered Bibles. Uh, and if you don't have one at home, that's our gift to you. You can take that home. One other thing to note, kids, uh, if you want some candy at the end of, of church, uh, I've made it a little bit harder than Pastor Brad made it last Sunday. Uh, there is a math challenge based on our text today. There are a lot of numbers, and so I have some, uh, some yummy candy to go with that for anybody who wants to do that challenge, and it's right at the back on the table, so you can head back there right now. Don't worry about interrupting anybody's view of me, not that good looking anyway, and go and grab it right now. All right. And uh, we are going to turn, and silly me, uh, I'm, I'm going to grab my Bible, <laughs> to 1 Samuel 25. It says, then David moved down into the desert of Moan. A certain man in Moan, who had property there in Carmel, was very wealthy. He had a thousand goats and three thousand sheep. Sheep. This is your first math clue, by the way, kids. Which he was shearing in Carmel. His name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman, but her husband, a Calebite, was surly and mean in his dealings. While David was out in the desert, he heard that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So he sent ten young men and said, Go up to Nabal at Carmel, and greet him in my name. Say to him, long life to you, good health to you and your household, and good health to all that is yours. Now I hear that it is sheep shearing time. When your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them, and the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. Ask your own servants, and they will tell you. Therefore be favorable Toward me, sorry, be favorable toward my young men since we come at a festive time. How convenient it's sheep shearing time, the time when they get their food. And it goes on to say, uh, since we've come at a festive time, please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. When David's men arrived, they gave the message to Nabal. This message in David's name. Then they waited. Nabal answered David's servants like this. He said, who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are baking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and my water and give the meat I slaughtered for my own shearers and give it to men coming from who knows where? And so David's men at once turned around and went back. When they arrived, they reported every one of the words to David. And David said to his men, put on your swords. So they put on their swords and David put on his 
and 400 men went up with David, while 200 stayed back with supplies. Meanwhile, over in Nabal's house, a servant went up to Abigail and said this in quiet. David sent messengers from the desert to give our master his greeting, but he hurled insults at them. Yet these men were very good to us. They did not mistreat us, and the whole time we were out in the fields near them, nothing was missing. Night and day, they were all around us. All the time, we were herding our sheep near them. Now think it over and see what you can do, because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole house. He is such a wicked man, and no one can talk to him. Abigail lost no time. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five sayers of uh, roasted grain, two turtle doves and a partridge in it. No, sorry, that's a different thing. A hundred cakes of raisins and 200 cakes of of pressed figs. Wow, that's a mouthful. And loaded them on a donkey. And then she told her servants, go ahead of you, I will follow you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. He was quite busy preparing for a party, actually, at the time. And as she came riding her donkey into the mountain ravine, there was David and his men descending towards her. And she met them. David had just said this. He said, as he's walking into the valley, it's just been useless. All my watching over this fellow's property in the desert so that nothing of his was missing. He has paid me back evil for good. May God deal with me Be it ever so severely if by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to him. But when Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed before David with her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, my Lord, let the blame be on me alone. Please let your servant speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. And then she goes on uh, to to uh, apologize and to uh, praise God for what is going to happen through David when he becomes king and all these things. And at the end, she says, don't let this this happen. Don't don't do what you're about to do and, and let it sear your conscience and have it on your head that you've caused all these people to die needlessly. And then she throws in just at the end, hey, uh, can you remember me too? <laughs> What's David going to say to this? Well, in verse 32, we find out, David said to Abigail, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord lives, the God of Israel lives, who has kept me from harming you. If you had not come quickly to me, not one male belonging to Nabal, would have been left alive by daybreak. Then David accepted the gift from her hand, what she had brought him, and said, Go home in peace. I have heard your words and granted your requests. May God speak to us this morning through his word. Well, the story doesn't stop there. Right after this, Abigail comes back, and probably not to her surprise, because Nabal is quite a foolish man, He sees him throwing a huge party that the Bible says is fit for a king. 
And he decides to wait. He doesn't, uh, or she decides to wait until he's not drunk anymore. And so the next morning, Abigail talks to her husband and literally something happens to his heart physically. And he's bedridden for 10 days. And after that, he dies. David, upon hearing this, is overjoyed because God has vindicated him against Nabal. He then goes and uh, grabs uh, Abigail to be his wife. And he, he gains another wife this way. A very intriguing and interesting story, wouldn't you say? Upon first glance, this doesn't seem like our hero David that we're used to seeing. I mean, this is David, a man after God's own heart, who kills Goliath with a simple sling and five rocks in his pocket with extreme faith in God. He spares Saul's life. He does so much more in his lifetime. And then we see him as a brute, a bully, bullying Nabal. You know, it kind of seems like we, we finally get to see the real David, you know? Maybe the one the Bible doesn't talk about, the, the part of the story that the paparazzi never get to. It kind of looks like David is actually scamming Nabal here, doesn't it? You know, I'm, I'm out and I'm doing my thing in the fields and, uh, oh, I see Nabal shepherds. Uh, I'm not really going to do much, but when it comes time to sheep shearing, I'm going to get mine. Seems very interesting. It actually seems like David is acting like a gangsta, like a gang leader on his turf. By being there, no other gangs in the area. You're not getting the Philistines coming in and raiding with David there. And you're not getting the Amalekites coming and raiding David, or the area while David's there. But then it comes time for the protection money. And he knocks on the day and he says, yo, because that's how gang leaders talk. Yo. Where's my money? We protected you all this time. And the ga gang leader says this, and then Nabal, foolishly, I mean, Nabal, Nabal has to know. His shepherds came back to him and tried to talk to him. He has to know how many men David has. But he foolishly says no. Then David, the gang leader, says, well, we're just going to take it then. I'm just going to take your business. I'm going to take your whole family. It's all going to become mine. And if this is the case, do we need to seriously look at David and analyze whether David truly was a man after God's own heart? As the Bible claims he is, or whether he's just another king that once did amazing things in his kingship, but he stepped on a lot of people to get there. And so we need to take a deeper look. And so let's do that. Let's go back and look at this story a little bit more. Let's look at David's message to Nabal. As I look at David's message, it doesn't seem like lip service waiting for his. The things that David should get. In it, it talks about, first David gives a bunch of, a, a blessing to uh, Nabal. And he says, Good health to you and your household. Long life to you. Good health to all that is yours. And then later at the end of the message, 
that David is sending to Nabal, he says, uh, look, look on us, your servants. And he actually calls himself the, his son. This is humility talking. I mean, think about David's scenario right now. David is out in the wilderness fleeing from Saul who's trying to kill him. And he has 600 men. Might be one of the answers. He has 600 men with him. How is he going to feed all these people? Well, he makes this, this request of Nabal. And not because he just saw, oh, here, here's some, some bread money here. I'm just going to go and get it. He actually was protecting the sheep, Nabal's property and his shepherds. And the reason we know this is we can look to what the servant said to Nabal's uh, wife, Abigail. This is what he says in verse 15. Yet these men were very good to us. They did not mistreat us. And the whole time we were out in the fields near them, nothing was missing. Get this. Night and day, they were a wall around us. All the time we were herding our sheep near them. This doesn't sound like a man who is just trying to cash in. David was protecting them. There was raiding going in by the Philistines and the Amalekites. There were uh, Israelites themselves that were going out and raiding that were corrupt. And David stood by these shepherds when they were in his care and protected them. Well, let's continue. In Nabal's message back to David, he's completely ignorant of who David is. He says, who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Now, maybe the messengers had told him that he was the son of Jesse, or was it that he actually knew who the son of Jesse was? How do you know David if you know, or how are you unaware of David if you know who his father is? And so he says, who is this? a first insult. And this, this guy, this David, has done some amazing things for Israel. I mean, as Pastor Keith talked about a couple of weeks ago, there was the song that doesn't end going on for Saul. And it was saying, Saul slayed the thousands and David his tens of thousands. He was a champion. He was leading troops. He was doing amazing things. Surely a noble, not so noble in personality as he's called a fool, but he was a wealthy man. Surely he had people around him that were constantly talking about David and what was going on. But no, Nabal is insulting David right there, saying, who the heck is this guy? He doesn't stop there though. Then he implies that David is a runaway slave. That he was Runaway slaves, when they're, they're taken, they're marked. And they, they're known as a runaway slaves. And they are dirt. And so that's what he's saying of David. But to add insult to injury, the last thing he says, which is totally absurd, as he's a rich man, he says, well, how does he expect me to feed my own servants if I'm feeding his men? A man that has 3,000 sheep, 1,000 goats, and a ton of other things, 
And we know that he has tons of other uh, possessions because Abigail gives a fairly substantial quantity of stuff to David later on. That doesn't even pale in comparison to his actual wealth. But in his foolishness, he pokes the beast in the eye. The beast that has 600 soldiers at his beck and call. He insults David not once, not twice, but thrice. Finally got to use that word. Thrice. And David responds quickly. You know, sometimes biblical characters, they're put on a pedestal, aren't they? They're really hard to to obtain their righteousness. I mean, David was a man after God's own heart. Yeah, sure, David and Bathsheba, it's a small blip on the radar. But David, man, I can't even get close to him. He never sinned besides David and Bathsheba, right? And we put biblical characters, even Peter, you know, uh, he he, uh, denied Jesus three times, but he was the rock of the church, I I was just reading in my daily devotionals this morning that Peter uh, breaks out of jail through the help of an angel. He doesn't break out. The angel just walks him out because of his great faith in what he's doing. I mean, these things happen to biblical characters, not to us, because they don't sin. they They don't screw up. But I love the subtlety in this story because we actually see the realness of David and then he's prone to sin. Not because he was a gangster. Not because he was trying to take his, but there's another subtle sin that David does. David, to this point, is led with integrity and love and caring for the countryman's shepherd and sending a blessing and a plea for supplies. But it's the scathing response by Nabal that David just loses it. Here we get to see the realness of David. David is enraged. He stands up, he grabs his sword without thinking, 400 men, and he says, put on your swords, let's go. And David is angry, and he is vengeful, and he wants Nabal to pay for the way that he has treated him. The Bible says that even in the time lapse between when the servant went to talk to Abigail Abigail then had to go to servants and uh, get all these goods together and, and it says they actually dressed the sheep so that took a while and then Abigail pushed the supplies out and then Abigail went. And it, during all of that time, it says that in scripture that David was still brooding that whole time right up to the moment that he comes to meet with Abigail. You curious where it is? It's right here, verse 21. David had just said when he's in the valley, it's been useless all my watching over this fellow's property in the desert so that nothing of his was missing. He has paid me back evil for good. May God deal with David, be it ever so severe, if by morning I leave alive one male of all that belongs to him. He is angry. Have you ever been like that? Have you ever been so emotional that it just overtakes you? I have. How is David, a God or a God, a man after God's own heart, how can he stay integral despite the fact that he's currently sinning in his rage and causing other people to go along with it? How can he still hear God's voice and avoid the atrocity 
You see, God speaks. In the midst of it all, God speaks through a fool's servant, Nabal's servant. And then God speaks through a fool's wife, Abigail, who is no fool at all, but is married to a fool. And Abigail is bold and courageous and speaks to David. And I don't have time to get into the actual uh, text and, and Abigail's speech to David. It's great reading. Read it at home. She is eloquent in her speech. She is wise. But she basically lists and takes responsibility for the actions of her husband, which is hard to do in and of itself, but she does. She distances herself from him by saying, even though I'm taking responsibility, it wasn't me. I didn't, I didn't even know that he sent out the servant. Things would have been different if that was the case. She apologizes again for all that she's doing. And then she praises God for all that David will accomplish. And lastly, she wisely and boldly says, you can't, can't do this, king. It's gonna sear your conscience. You're gonna have the blood of these men on you while you're king. Just, just don't do this. Just accept my gift. And in his rage, David has humility. Instead of listening to the intense desire in his heart for vengeance, he listens to what would be a nobody. He's going to kill Nabal. Who's this woman? Well, he's humble enough to admit that she comes with knowledge. She, he listens, and this is how he responds. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me. Do you hear the humility? For keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. You see, David was about to go do something very, very wrong and sin against God and cause other people to do it. But David was a man after God's own heart and through humility humbled himself and listened and then put it into practice. That's the coolest thing about this story is that we see a real person, our mighty hero David, struggling in sin and then overcoming this sin through humility. David was truly not wise, not because he knew everything, but because he heard smart words and was humble enough for the words to change his heart and his actions. This is the kicker. If you guys are thinking about your meal plan for today, clue in for a sec. This, this is what I want you to get out of today's message. Wisdom is listening to godly advice and humbly putting it into practice. Let me say it again. Wisdom is listening to godly advice and humbly putting it into practice. Well, if that's the message, then how can we get this wisdom that David had? Well, I think the first thing, and it's not directly in the, the, our story, we have to look at the Psalms and how David constantly meditated day and night on the word of God. If we don't start there, 
then we're missing something in David's life. And so the first thing that we need to do to obtain and receive wisdom, that which is godly advice when we humbly put it into practice, is through the Bible. The word of God is the most profound and life-changing counsel and advice you can ever get. Hebrews 4 verse 12 says this, the Bible is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. See, God's word spoke to David many times, and his word spoke through Abigail into David's innermost thoughts. And his word can do that for us as well. I was so excited when I uh, got home from serve and I found that 12 out of the 14 participants, leaders, and youth were taking on to read their Bible and journal every single day. And I'm proud of them for that. And now they haven't been consistent all the time, but they're striving for that. I think that's awesome. If that's something you want to take on, uh, I was just having a conversation with Justin who just left. I was going to embarrass him a little bit. I was just having a conversation with him yesterday on text as he was talking about what he was reading and just uh, digging into the word and it just excites me. You can have that too. If you want to join their reading program, their devotional plan, go on the YouVersion app and download, uh, it's called the Now is the Time Acts Youth Journey. And you can read that plan. There's a devotional and that'll get you 31 days into a habit which psychologists say usually take 40, okay? But this isn't the only thing that excites me, not just that the kids are, are from serve come back and do that. It excites me when I see, you know those action Bibles that are around that the kids have? You guys have an action Bible? Yeah? That, I'll tell you what it is, Sienna. The action Bible, if you want one, it's, it's basically a comic book version of the Bible. And it's got awesome truths and stories in it that we can uh, grow in our faith and that kids can grow in their faith with. And it, it's pretty awesome, eh? You have one? Yeah. It excites me to see them reading it. It excites me to see men and women g getting together and reading the Bible and journaling at some unforsaken hour in the morning together at a Starbucks just, just reading God's word and journaling. That's awesome. And what touches my heart is when my own daughter is playing and suddenly she realizes something and she turns to me and she says, Bible? See, Ray Lynn wants me to get out my YouVersion app kids Bible. Anybody got that? If not, get it because it's an awesome, awesome uh, version of the Bible for kids that are really young. And she wants me to open up and she'll read one, two, or three stories and she'll just say, when it, one's done, her words are, more? I love it. It just touches my heart. That's where David started. In the word. Reading God's statutes and digging in deep. Welcome back. <laughs> I was talking about you while you were gone. There you go. Wisdom is listening to godly advice and humbly putting it into practice. Well, David had the word of God but you know what? It didn't stop there. He needed more. He needed someone to call him out when he couldn't see the wrong that he was doing. 
Have you ever been there? Where you were, maybe it's a while, you're at work or you're at school and you are talking in such a way that doesn't please God, that doesn't even please you when you get home. And then somebody comes alongside and tells you, oh man, you really treated that guy like garbage. Or maybe you're, you're listening at work or at school and you hear somebody talking about you and they're saying, man, he calls himself a Christian? See, David used, one, he used godly friendships. And so if you have somebody at school or work that you can be accountable to, that you can touch base with and say, hey, how you doing? How am I doing? I saw you do this. And even by having that guy, if you just look at him, guy or girl at work or at school, something clicks and you can go, oh man, I'm not gonna do the thing that I was gonna do. Take that on, grab a godly friend like that. But that's not really what happened in this story. That's a great thing, the Bible and godly friendships. What happened here is the fool's wife, Abigail, who was wise, God listened to her, or David listened to her. This is an unlikely source. And so that would be my third thing. David receives wisdom by humbling himself through unlikely sources. And so that person who's talking behind your back but saying, is he, is he even a Christian? Like, what is he doing? He calls himself a Christian. He's not. Or that person that may not even be a Christian but comes up to you and says, ah, weren't you a little harsh in that meeting? Weren't you a little harsh to your colleague? Weren't you a little harsh? Should you really have made fun of that kid in school today? And you could say, ah, who's he? Whatever. It was just a joke. But if we're really honed into the spirit like David is, if we're listening, and if we humble our hearts to be able to receive knowledge and smart advice from the people all around us, then God will do an even more amazing thing in our lives. We will be better people in our stressful situations at work or school or even at home, in our neighborhoods, with our family. I was hanging out with a buddy this week, one of those people that helped me, the, the second part, godly friendships. And we got together and we were talking uh, and he shared with me this. And I'll use the first person. So I was on my lunch break today where I had just finished a 30-minute time in prayer. But I was walking down the street and I saw a guy on the street who looked a little down and out. He was actually saying something to me, but I confess I really wasn't listening to the guy and I simply shrugged it off saying I don't have any change. Well, the guy didn't actually want any change and he told me this. But I was too into my thoughts and what I was going to do that day. And who was this guy anyway? I didn't want to talk to him. And so I gave him a dismissive shrug and I just kept walking. I maybe got a block away and felt absolutely horrible that I had treated the, this man this way. And so I turned around and I went back to talk to the fellow. I said I was sorry for ignoring him and treating him so poorly. I said Jesus was not pleased with how I was acting, being so loving, and asked him to forgive me. And I'm so proud of him for doing that, for just going back and having that conversation. 
Well, he didn't answer or accept my apology. He simply was quiet for a bit and then intently looked up to me and he said, God is love. Interesting phrase out of this. And then he proceeded to ask me, not for change or for anything, but he asked this. He said, yeah, can you forgive yourself? God is love. Could you forgive yourself? He then asked for a hug, so we hugged it out, and it was quite an awkward and drawn-out hug. Wasn't the three-pat we're accustomed to. And then I left. But in all of this, I'm sure I'll be chewing on this for a while. And this was the power of God working through my friend. Amazing, because he was humble enough to go back. I mean, it would have been even better if he had just stopped and said, hey, what's up, let's talk. But he went back and he talked and he'll be chewing, he's told me this, that he'll be chewing and and just thinking on this and how it relates to his life uh, for time and time to come through this amazing story. See, David was able to take the wide words of a stranger. My friend humbled himself and opened up to God to work through an interaction with a person who was down and out. Do you have a humble heart? Do you have a humble heart to take godly wisdom from someone that might be younger than you? Not have as good a reputation as you? Maybe it's at work and it's somebody who is uh, higher or lower on the totem pole than you. Maybe it's your brother and sister at home. Parents, maybe it's your kids. You can learn so much. God can speak through our kids. Tammy's smiling. She agrees. And kids, may this be a word for you as well. See, 1 Timothy talks about, it says, do not let anybody look down on you because you're young. But in speech, and it goes to love, all of this different thing, you have the opportunity to speak into the lives of older people to do things that will go, wow. And can change hearts and lives. But here's the key. You got to do it humbly. Everybody's like, oh, do I have a word for you, dad? <laughs> Listen to all my wisdom. But it's to humble ourselves in every situation so God can work in it. And that we can grow in the knowledge and that it can be wisdom because we put it into practice. Wisdom is the ability to listen to godly advice and put it into practice. David's wisdom came by surrounding himself with godly advice and allowing it to change his heart and actions. We can do this by digging into God's word daily, being intentional about having godly friendships that can speak into our situations and by being humble enough to allow God to work through unlikely people. So as the worship team crumbs, I have a question for you. It's a simple one. Where are you at? Where are you at with all this? How is God speaking to you right now? I mean, 
Hebrews talks, and we already mentioned the scriptures, how scripture hits each one of us and divides soul and spirit, bone and marrow, gets to our innermost thoughts. How is God speaking to you right now? True wisdom comes from a teachable spirit, and true wisdom comes from humility. So maybe that's where you're at. And that is a hard prayer. Praying for humility, it doesn't come as a nice package on your doorstep. It's something that comes through trials, that comes through awkward situations where you're tested and you grow in humility. But my prayer for all of us is that we would grow in that early so that we can aspire to be like David in wisdom, humility, and integrity. And so as the worship team plays this last song, I just pray that, that the Spirit, you would allow the Spirit to work. So God, we are yours. We want to grow closer to you. We want to humble ourselves. Lay our crown at your cross. Help us. Show us in this time, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.